Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The other hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, Chris. Good to talk again. Uh, listeners, welcome to the latest episode of The Other Hand. I want to start off today by just uh, saying a few words about the Irish economy and what's going on here. Uh, there's not a lot in the way of data. There's not a lot in the way of um, anything really to talk about here. But a couple of things that I think are worth noting. One is that Late last week, we got the final industrial production numbers for Ireland for 2023. Manufacturing output for the year fell by 7.5%, the first time in a while. And within that, the, manuf- the modern sector was down by 9.4%, and the dominated by the multinational sector, particularly chemical and pharma. And the traditional sector where... Um, The food industry is a significant part, up by 6.4%. Okay, nothing here that came remotely as a surprise because we have discussed ad nauseum over the last 12 months, the impact on the export performance in the multinational sector, uh, how it was feeding into corporation tax receipts, etc. But I just want to put it on the record um, an overall decline of 7.5% in manufacturing output with the modern sector down by 9.4, the traditional up by 6.4. The other piece of news here in recent days was that the Irish Congress of Trade Unions um, have called on their private sector members, or sorry, advised their private sector members to look for a pay increase of between 4 and 6% in 2024 where this is affordable. Um, I'm not surprised by the magnitude because the argument they would make is that over the last couple of years, uh, wage growth has not kept pace with uh, the unanticipated increase in inflation that we've seen over the last couple of years. Uh, But anyway, it'll be interesting to see how this feeds out in the private sector labor relations over the coming months, because um, a lot of private sector businesses, particularly in the hospitality sector, will certainly argue an inability to pay here. And I think that's why it too sensibly put in the word where affordable. Uh, this public sector recommendation from it too comes on the back of a 
public sector pay deal that Pascal Donoghue signed up to recently. It hasn't been approved yet, I think, by the public sector unions, but basically public sector pay for around 285,000 public sector workers to increase by 10.25% in total over the next couple of years. Um, it's, diff- it's, it's, it's a complicated wage agreement in the sense that there are um, it's, it's going to be introduced on a stepped up gradual basis. But over a two year period, you're looking at a public sector pay increase of 10.25%. Um, when asked to comment about this, I guess I've had mixed feelings in a sense that, you know, a lot of the public sector workers who will get this pay increase are uh, vital public sector services like, you know, nurses, doctors, guards, teachers, and so on. And of course, they are workers that are really suffering from cost of living and particularly from the housing crisis. And, and you hear the sort of cliche thing about a, um, a teacher and a guard who are a couple not being able to get anything like the required mortgage, particularly in Dublin, to buy a house. So um, I, I, I certainly would not um, begrudge workers like that from that sort of pay increase. But I do think what's worth bearing in mind would be the equivalence on the private sector, particularly in the SME sector, where we're seeing a lot of business pressures at the moment. So I think if the public finances are going to preside over a 10.25% increase in the public sector pay, in public sector pay, excuse me, over the next couple of years, well, then um, I think support for the SME sector needs to be ongoing. And uh, the first thing I would like to see implemented as quickly as possible is a permanent 9% VAT rate for the hospitality sector. But anyway, Chris, that's Ireland. Um, I know we have a lot to talk about in the context of uh, Donald Trump and what he's been saying in relation to NATO over the weekend. But uh, I was struck by a story today, which I think sums up a lot of what's happening in the world. Uh, The French interior minister decreed that children of immigrants born in Mayotte, I probably pronounced that totally incorrectly, it's spelled M-A-Y-O-T-T-E, is a French overseas territory close to Madagascar. Um, But the French interior minister has decreed that um, the children of immigrants born in that country will need at least one French parent to gain French citizenship. Okay, and this is a direct move by the French to try and reduce immigration into Mayotte. And the reason why is because we're seeing increasing protests in that country about immigration. And it just shows uh, it's happening absolutely everywhere. And listen, I may be totally wrong on this, but I suspect Mayotte is a country that is full of immigrants that have come in over the generations and indeed over the centuries. And now they're turning around protesting about immigrants coming into the country. Um, This, I guess, is a pretty insignificant story in many ways. But to me, it is significant because it does just amplify once again what's happening on the whole immigration debate around the world. And of course, it is an ongoing significant issue in this country, in the United Kingdom, in the United States, virtually everywhere at this stage. And of course, it is feeding into the rise of the far right in many countries. So 
immigration certainly is the story of the day, I think. Yeah, it's got salience everywhere, hasn't it, Jim? We see it with Donald Trump and the border in the United States. We know that the whole Brexit thing is being driven in part, in large part, some people think, by immigration. The second largest party in Germany, the Alternative for Deutschland, a far-right party, populist party, its two main policy platforms are anti-immigration and they want uh, a referendum on something called Dexit. Have you ever heard that word before? I presume it's Deutschland from the EU. Yeah, I'd never seen it before, sort of for the first time today. So it's uh, these populist themes uh, resonate everywhere. And as we've said many times about populist themes in Ireland, another one that resonates everywhere is the housing crisis. All of these countries, uh, to one extent or another, usually a large extent, have housing and crisis in their newspaper headlines every day. And the link to immigration, of course, is that the populists blame immigrants for the housing crisis. And I've actually done some research recently in a different context for a different reason, looking at the evidence for the extent to which immigration pushes up house prices and believe it or not, this, there is research out there that says it pushes house prices down. But let's not get into that today. Populists are using immigration as a stick with which to beat uh, incumbent governments, incumbent, incumbent politicians like Joe Biden. The U.S. Republicans in Washington, D.C. Uh, were given everything they asked for on their most recent immigration demands for the Mexican border, and they said no. So it's become a problem. Um, it's become a problem that is used then for political purposes, and but it is not a problem to be solved. And that's the, the trick that populists everywhere are using, with immigration in particular, but p- issues about which people are angry, often justifiably so in some, but not all cases. And uh, it's important that when you are looking at the political debate in any country to be able to spot these trends, to say, okay, this is a real issue, or maybe it isn't a real issue, whatever it is. And are people debating this in a serious, sensible way and saying, well, how are we going to solve this, which is what most rational human beings would want us to do, or are they simply using it as a stick to beat up their opposition? And it's that latter point that you've got to, to spot. Immigration in Ireland has become very interesting, as as we know, because of all the furore over um, all sorts of different things, from riots in Dublin through to uh, suspicious fires, arson attacks, all that sort of thing. But now it seems to be impacting on Sinn Féin's votes, doesn't it? Or at least their popularity. And their uh, sudden collapse, uh, as I might in an exaggerated way call it, has been down in part according to the experts, because a lot of their vote is deserting them for the far right on immigration issues. But let's again park that for now, because I've promised to talk about geopolitics a lot this year, and I'm going to do so today. And I think Donald Trump's comments over the weekend do bear some examination. And of course, he's running for election. This is a very political process. And as I say, he's using immigration on the Mexican border as just one part of his policy platform. But another big part of that platform is his attitude towards internationalism, international institutions, and NATO in particular. And he's come up with this story that he said to an EU leader when he was president, if you don't pay your NATO dues, I'm going to essentially invite Russia to attack you. And I wouldn't care less couldn't care less if Russia did attack you. Most extraordinary thing. First thing we can say about this is that it's probably a lie. 
journalists have been scouring EU political ministries, finance ministries, anybody, any politician or civil servant they can find to say, have you any memory or evidence of this conversation between Donald Trump and an EU leader taking place? And everybody's saying, no, it didn't. It just didn't happen in that way. The second way in which it's a lie is that he keeps talking about European countries paying their dues. There are no membership dues for NATO. There are no subscriptions. There are no monthly direct debits. No money flows from any NATO country to the United States. What Donald Trump should be complaining about is something else. But he's been told this many, many times, but he persists with this idea that NATO should be paying the United States some money. It's very, very dangerous stuff. Let me tell you a little story about uh, speeches and history. Back in the early 1950s, there was a U.S. Secretary of State called Dean Acheson, and he made a speech about U.S. foreign policy and about U.S. interests overseas and what it would and would not do to protect those interests. And he talked, I think, it was something like a security perimeter or some uh, way in which the U.S. viewed its commitments to its allies and what interests it would and would not defend. And in this speech, he said uh, that Korea was not within this security perimeter. And guess what happened four months later, Jim? North Korea invaded South Korea. Words have real, real meaning and importance and significance in this context. And I think now that Donald Trump has upped the ante on everything that he said and did when he was president, because we've known he's been anti-NATO for quite some time. But with this ratcheting up of the rhetoric and the support he's getting from people like Senator Lindsey Graham and others in the Republican Party. He's not isolated in these anti-native views at all. He's actually tapping into something that I think is, is very real in America. The damage has been done. It doesn't matter now whether he becomes president or not. In a way, it doesn't matter whether he pulls America out of NATO or not. Every NATO member and indeed anybody under America's security umbrella, must be thinking, hmm, that commitment isn't what I thought it was. I've got to rethink. And everybody is going to have to do this in one way or another. Europe is clearly getting itself ready to think about defending itself. And if, and it's a big if, Europe does do the, the spending necessary and the rearming necessary and the upping of the increasing the size of its armies and air forces to the point where it can withstand Russia. That's a big if. We don't know if, if, if it's got the political will to do that. But even if it did, it's going to take years. So that's an opportunity for Russia to do a North Korea if it wants to. And where I think the real pressure point is going to be is if and when Putin gets all of Ukraine, or most of it, um, what's he going to do next? And if I was sitting in Poland now, if I was prime minister or president of Poland or a political leader in Poland, I would be saying, hmm, don't know what Russia's going to do, but there must be a good chance that we're next. And if we're next, I need some nukes. So I think that Poland, as it has already muttered something about, is going to ask to trigger NATO's uh, provision clause in its treaties that allows nuclear weapons to be stationed on any NATO member's soil. And if it doesn't get them uh, when it asks for them, and some Polish politicians are kind of sort of asking for them, I think they'll pursue their own. There is a chance that they will pursue their own nuclear program. So I think one of the consequences 
uh, of Trump's rhetoric is nuclear pro proliferation and more generally everybody deciding that their own defense needs to be taken care of by themselves, that the American security umbrella is, is no longer what we thought it was. And in the great geopolitical game, there is a big chance, Jim, that America is taking itself off the board. That chessboard isn't going to have a piece marked the United States. Isolationism, which has always been present in U.S. politics, um, seems to be making a very, very big comeback. So I think this is very serious indeed, with potentially, I think, catastrophic consequences. Um, I don't know how we put the genie back in the bottle now that it's out. Now that you went credibility and commitment are two are. are very important psychological phenomena. And now that we're questioning something that we haven't had to question for a very, very long time. So I'm, I'm very, very worried about that. How did you react to Donald Trump's speech? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was an absolutely bizarre thing to come out with because, as you said, if, if I was Putin sitting at home in the Kremlin listening to this, I would take it basically as an invitation um, in the event of a Trump presidency, knowing I could do so without any consequences from the United States or, or reaction from the United States. And I, I just think that is incredibly dangerous. And uh, we are accused of, uh, we have been accused of a total bias against Trump. But when you see Trump coming out with these sorts of statements, you really do wish for the stability of the globe, actually, that Trump gets nowhere near the White House next November. I mean, that that's, that's certainly my um, gut reaction to what I heard. Um, I can see where, you know, the Americans would have an issue with defense budgets around Europe in a sense that, you know, the 2% commitment is not being achieved by many countries. And in fact, Trump believes that it should be 4%, not 2% defense spending as a percentage of GDP. So there are a lot of NATO countries who are not hitting that. But over, and, and I guess if I was in the United States, that's certainly one issue that would concern me and indeed the united states has expressed views on this at various times but to come out and actually say that if these delinquent countries as he called them um do not step up to the plate in terms of defense spending and contribution to nato well then um basically uh russia will be entitled to attack him and he wouldn't do anything about it i find it's very very dangerous um, I think I, I, I really like the story you told about the 1950s and the Korean situation because we've often said in this podcast that um, words do have consequences. And this is certainly, um, in, in that regard, is a real, real issue. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. 
no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. One of my favorite sayings um, elsewhere and on this podcast is that all great lies come wrapped around a kernel of truth. And you've just correctly, I think, very eloquently identified the kernel of truth around which Trump's lies are wrapped. And that is that European countries in particular have not stepped up to the plate when it comes to defense spending. But what I think Trump doesn't realize or he pretends not to realize that even if Germany, France and everybody else was spending at a much higher rate, it wouldn't mean that US spending would have to be less. It wouldn't mean that any money would flow to the United States. It would just mean that Europe is spending as it should. So I and to to approach uh, um, to damage U.S. vested interests in the way that Trump will do, because don't forget what happened in Korea, is that Aitchison was trying to say, we're not involved, we are going to be, at least when it comes to Korea, isolationist, and that presumably was because he, A, he didn't want to spend any money, and B, put any American boys at risk on the ground in Korea, and we know what actually happened next, and that historically... Uh, America can't help getting involved in all of these different conflicts for all sorts of reasons. I, I think Trumpist-type critics would say they get involved for bad reasons, but frankly, when you are the world's largest economy, when you are one of the world's largest countries, your vested interests dictate that you have to get involved. You, you actually Isolationism is a myth. You can't actually achieve it. You have to get involved, if only for your self-interest, even if, it, even if you think that doing the right thing for its own sake isn't a reason for doing it. Um, just simple, narrow vested interest means that America will inevitably end up in the next European war, should we should we ever get one. Yeah, the other, the other point, well, there's a couple of other points I'd like to make, Chris. One is in relation to uh, Germany. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, the Germans have certainly stepped up their defence spending in the face of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So perhaps, you know, Europe is moving in the right direction now for the wrong reasons. But I, I, I think over the last number of years, my biggest problem with Trump more than anything else actually was um, his antagonistic approach to his European allies. Because I, I think to varying degrees, you look at Russia, you look at China, perhaps you look at India as growing potential global geopolitical threats. There is no doubt about that. And um, particularly in the case of Russia and China, they'd be pretty inimical towards the United States. So there was never, and the West generally, but there was never, um, I think, a, a, a greater need for the West to be as united as possible in the face of these global geopolitical threats. And yet Trump was just engaged in this divisive, divisiveness, this divisive approach, basically antagonized the British, the Germans and the French. He basically antagonized everybody in Europe during his presidency and has continued to do so. So he's sown a lot of division. And you could also say that actually Brexit fits into that pattern because uh, there is no doubt about it. Uh, Brexit weakened the European Union because I think uh, the United Kingdom was an important counterbalance in the European Union. Um, and you know, it, it has definitely fragmented the European Union, Brexit has. So I would worry about all of this. And of course, the real worry, which um, 
Trump has really alluded to over the weekend is that it's just going to get worse um, if he becomes the next president of the United States. So regardless, Chris, of being accused of all sorts of political bias, I just pray to God that um, Trump does not get anywhere near the White House next November. One of the things that he's promised to do, one of the many things that he's promised to do when he assumes the presidency in January of next year is to increase the tariffs on imports of Chinese goods into the United States to 60%. Bloomberg have run an exercise using their economic models, asking the question, what would happen to US imports from China if there was a 60% tariff? Now, just to give you an idea, US imports from China currently run annually at $575 billion. And of course, the US exports a lot to China, but there is a big deficit there. And that's what stupidly Trump worries about. Bloomberg model that with the tariffs that Trump already put on and that Biden continued, imports from China are now $160 billion less than they would otherwise have been. So we're talking big numbers already. But what do you think the forecast, Bloomberg's forecast, for the effects of, of the 60% tariff on that current $575 billion? Have a guess. I guess $300 billion? No, zero. They will go to zero. Oh, sorry, they'll go to zero. I beg your pardon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I was surprised by just how... Ex- um, but when you think about it, 60%, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big tariff. Yeah, it now, the pro- that's a big problem for China. China's saying that they are indifferent between Biden and Trump. And um, I can see on the one hand, they they don't like tariffs, but they might like the invitation to invade Taiwan if Trump were to uh, be elected. But the um, they've got all sorts of problems in China, not just the prospect of Donald Trump and existing and prospective tariffs. Chinese stocks, the stock market in China, Jim, is off 40% since its 2021 high. That's a loss of stock market wealth of $7 trillion. That's seven followed by 12 zeros. Of course, the property crash is the biggest deal in China at the moment. And we know what a property crash looks like, don't we? From our experiences of the great financial crisis 15 years ago. And we also know from our own experiences that you can handle property crashes well, you can handle them very badly. And different countries mostly handle them quite badly. So this property crash is a very, very big deal in China, and it's going to be rumbling along for, I think, quite a long period of time. And we need to watch very carefully about how they're handling it. But it's having all sorts of consequences for China, of course, but also for other countries. And we talked about the the alternative for Germany, that party that is running second in the opinion polls, that ultra-right-wing party. Um, I think it's not unconnected with what's going on in China. It's not unconnected to the earlier point we were discussing, which is the ever-present immigration issue. The alternative for Germany is a very anti-immigrant party. But Germany is struggling economically. It's struggling more than the UK in 2023, on certainly on headline GDP. And one of the things that I think is happening is that he's, it, it's in trouble in and of itself because of all sorts of very German reasons. It was the economy probably most, or perhaps the biggest economy, most exposed to the energy crisis. It's often said that Germany's economic model is taking cheap Russian gas and turning them into turning cheap Russian gas into expensive Mercedes. Uh, I think that's a little lurid. It's, a, it's an exaggeration, but you get the point. 
actually the sector of the German economy that perhaps is most affected by the higher energy prices uh, for gas in particular uh, is the chemical sector. Now, Germany, uh, unlike the United States and the UK, has retained over the last few decades a very, very large industrial manufacturing sector. Uh, in the UK in particular, it's shrunk to, to next to nothing almost. Um, uh, but that's not true in Germany. And I wonder whether Germany is now experiencing in a delayed way what both Britain and the United States have been experiencing for decades. And that's something called deindustrialization. It's probably too early to call it that, but I think that we can start to discuss it as a possibility. And of course, one of the reasons why it's deindustrializing, deindustrializing, apart from the fact that its costs of manufacturing things has gone up so much, is because it sold an awful lot of its manufactured goods, guess where? To China. China. And China is responding to its property crash in all sorts of ways, but one of them is to try and build up to try and create a buffer for its economy to offset the property crash by manufacturing more, particularly chips and electronic vehicles. And that's a whole other story as well. I think we're going to get a lot of very cheap German cars, electric, electronic cars and silicon. Chinese cars, you mean? Yes. Sorry, what did I say? You said German. Yeah, no, oh, fine. Sorry, slip yeah. of the tongue. Yeah. So... China is going to be competing directly with Germany for selling into world markets and is going to be importing less from Germany. So I think Germany potentially is in a lot of trouble. And deindustrialization has a political impact as well. I think that the rise of Donald Trump, the Brexit phenomenon in the UK, was very connected to the deindustrialization of those two economies and the great swathes of those economies, of the, the left behind, as they're often called, the, the former steelworkers, coal miners, car plant workers, shipyard workers, all those heavy industry workers that the jobs disappeared were, were natural voters in the end for Trump and for Brexit. Not the only voters, but certainly were. And I think Germany is now starting in a delayed way the process that those two economies have been going through for years. So I think we need to watch these political developments linked to economic developments in Germany very, very closely. And that's where Dexit comes in, is that uh, just as these, these phenomena gave rise to Brexit, it is, you know, starting to be mentioned bizarrely in Germany because the whole Brexit thing, and this is where it gets really nutty, I'd have thought that the, the, the whole exiting the European debate had been settled by the absolute disaster that Brexit has been. We had Goldman Sachs over the weekend joining the chorus of people estimating just how bad Brexit has been for the British economy. And I would argue it's not just about economics. I think Brexit has been very bad socially and politically for the UK as well. But on the economics, Goldman Sachs estimates that Brexit has cost already Britain 5% of GDP. Now, you know, Jim, that 5% of GDP is an awful lot of money. And whether whether that's the right number, so if it's in the right ballpark, then it, it's been an economic disaster for the UK. But I think one nuance that I'd offer, which I think is a semi-original thought here, is that uh, what's a shock or a shock to the system like Brexit is, it's like if you get an illness, Jim, if you're in good shape physically and mentally and you, you get an illness, um, if you're in good shape, you're better able to withstand an awful lot of things that the, 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 the uh, that germs and micro whatever can throw at you. And economies are a bit like that. If you're in good shape, if you're healthy, if you're innovative, if you're, if you're adaptable and you get a shock, um, you won't become very sick. 
and I think that's true of London and the southeast. They've not uh, Brexit was not welcome for the for the industries that are in London and the southeast, but they are f- London is full of innovative, uh, adaptable um, businesses, fintech, financial services, services of all kinds that despite Brexit have actually done all right. The London and the southeast has done okay. It's all the weaknesses in the British economy that were there and have been brutally exposed by Brexit, and they are regional weaknesses. So areas like bits of Wales, the northeast of England, uh, Scotland, have all suffered that 5% GDP hit rather than London. And of course, these were all the regions that the Brexiteers honed in on as benefiting from leaving the shackles of the European Union. So it's ironic, isn't it? So many ironies there, Jim, you're absolutely right. And yet, in Germany, we get the AFD saying that the right thing for this deindustrializing stressed economy to do is exit the European Union. It, it, it really is extraordinary. And this is the theme that seems to come, whether you're talking about immigration, deindustrialization, whatever phenomena you're looking at, it's where there is a genuine problem and or a genuine grievance. Uh, it's the correlation, it's the link to the thing that is supposed to cure it, that is wrong, that people say that, you know, immigration is the cause of high house prices, Uh, immigration is the cause of this, that or the other, the European Union, the Brussels bureaucrat is responsible for you losing your job, Uh, all of these things, and I am the person to cure it, I have the magic wand that will get your house prices down, that will stop immigrants coming into the country, that will make your life better. I have the solution. The cry of the populist everywhere. It's, it, it is everywhere. And um, I just keep saying, uh, beware it. Yeah. Uh, the, in the United States, I mean, we, we, we have spoken many times about the strength of the US economy and some people are prepared to argue the point, but um, on paper, at least statistically, the US is doing very well. But um, Biden not at all benefiting from that. And there was a poll in the Financial Times over the weekend showing that 42% of respondents believe that the economy would be better under Trump. And 31% say Biden's policies are better for the economy. But it, it just shows you that Trump is resonating, you know, that there, there is no doubt about that. And um, Biden has clearly suffered from the impact of the escalation in the cost of living over the last few years. That seems to be a key point in his weakness in the opinion polls, at least from an economic perspective. But um, I notice he has come out in the last 24 hours warning snack companies about shrinkflation. So perhaps the White House has at last copped on to why Biden is unpopular and are now starting to respond to that. Um, I fear it might be too little too late, but uh, given all the other factors at play, but I go back to the point I made earlier on, um, it really is a frightening prospect that Trump could actually walk into the White House next January. I think Jill Biden, Joe Biden's wife, is going to have to have a conversation with her husband and persuade him not to run. And the story I heard over the weekend take it with a pinch of salt it's probably a nothing burger but there is an idea being expressed in some quarters that if she does that because she's the only person apparently that could persuade biden not to run that michelle obama would then take his place as the the democratic candidate in the election 
What do you think of that idea? Yeah, an, an interesting prospect. Um, I, I think in many ways she would take a lot of, bo- a lot of boxes um, and probably would be pretty popular. But uh, yeah, I, I think she would sway a lot of the more neutral people who are going to vote for Trump because for a variety of reasons, they don't want to vote for Biden. Um, a lot of those more moderates might actually row in behind Michelle Obama, you would have thought. Yeah, I have to say, um, I'd like to see something like that happening. I think um, it's probably the only thing at this stage that could really threaten the dominance of Trump in political circles. So, On that cheerful thought, Jim, yes, shall we wrap it? We shall, Chris. Good to talk. Speak to you next time, mate. Cheers. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.